Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Hi, welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And joined with me today, of course, as usual, Serge Boudreaux. Serge, tell me what's going on in your world. Shelly, there's too much going on in my world, busy in every end, but I'm not complaining when you're busy. That means that um, you're actually accomplishing something. So no, it's it's been great. Can you believe we're already in October? Um, This is just like crazy. I I feel like the summer just flew by. Um, But, you know, before we know it, it'll be Christmas. So how you been doing? Yeah. Do you know, like you, um, really busy. And um, as it is coming up to Canadian Thanksgiving, I always reflect on what I'm grateful for. Um, Grateful certainly to you, Serge, for being my friend, for starting the Recruitment Flex podcast. Um, Grateful for the fact that I see business starting to open up. Um, It feels, no, more than feels, but what I'm seeing is it's like everybody said, okay, go at the same time. So September was really busy and I'm so grateful. Like it's just so many things that um, that I was really hoping and praying for, and, yeah, and it has it has started. It has started. So I feel I feel very optimistic. I feel also very grateful. Everybody in my family's healthy. Um, nobody's gotten sick. Um, yeah. So yes, Canadian Thanksgiving and Shelley's being feeling thankful and a little melancholy yes. too. So you're yeah. always feeling very thankful. <laughs> That's what I love about you. I, so in putting that in context, I think everyone's in the same boat. And as far as everyone is getting busier, I'm, and the great thing too, for recruiter friends listening is we're starting to see a lot more jobs open up on the recruitment front. I've, I've seen people get hired, people I know. So that is excellent. So, but with a lot of new recruiters starting new jobs and they're coming into maybe what is a new reality in some ways. And one of the things that, um, I wanted to talk about. So in this show, we're going to talk on uh, uh, some some great topics that are really, I think, really up to date and what's happening. And but how about we start talking about um, leveraging your database to recruit? And mm-hmm. I, I'm really passionate about this right now because I've come to realize, and I've always thought of there's multiple ways you can go out in the market and recruit and one that is ignored. And I've been talking about for years, but I think we need to bring up the subject is why are we ignoring tons of candidates that are already in our database and what can we do to engage those candidates in what we call talent pipelining, but even not talking about talent pipelining, I think is why are we not leveraging candidates in our database and always starting from scratch when it comes to recruiting? Mm-hmm. Um, Shelly, what's your thoughts? Let's, let's just talk yeah. about that for a while. Serge, you know, um, I know we, we, you and I have talked about it before, and I know one of the challenges with, you know, um, maybe having come through the whole digitization of the recruitment process, um, there are some things that I still do that are really old school, but always with a line of sight. So I think applicant tracking systems helped digitize the process, but what they did was they put our candidates, well, they applied to this particular open rec, right? So unless you had the foresight as a recruiter, um, something I always did was I had what I called a special people folder and I built it in the applicant tracking system. And so I would put people in there in big, 
kind of buckets or broader categories, but I was doing it manually, you know, and yeah. I am talking about like even going back to some of the, the real early applicant tracking systems, but, you know, even, you know, I can't really speak to the newer ones. I think they are probably better at linking that uh, candidate information into broader categories uh, because God, that would make our life so much easier. Hey, like if we had, you know, even categories of, um, you know, engineers and categories of, you know, great people, because we know this role will come up again and how hard it is to find these people. Um, I've always seen the value in it. Right. But I, yeah, well, and I, and I don't know why other than, um, you know, the applicant tracking system industry did its best to take what was really paper folders and digitize them. What, yeah. Am no, I on the I, right I track? Like, what do you think? No, you're exactly on the right track. And I think mm -hmm. the biggest challenge is, first of all, we've talked about this so many times, most ATS suck. So, uh, yeah. and some of it are like from the days of being digitized and, and some have not involved that much. So if you think mm -hmm. about like, I, I'll repeat, if your ATS is part of a whole HCM system, probably sucks and probably doesn't have that capability, but there is ways around. So let me give yeah. you like a real tactical practitioner and how I've, I've done it in that sense. So with any role, sometimes you come across some great people. They just don't fit the specific skill set for yes. that role you're hiring or they're the silver award winner. They were great. They weren't fit yeah. or maybe they were the Browns and maybe, uh, or maybe those candidates, uh, they're just not ready yet. Maybe they have all the skill yes. sets as someone. So what I've done when I had an ATS that wasn't very flexible is I actually created jobs for a, a particular skill set. So say it's a software developer that focuses on Java. I created that job, then I would plop in all the candidates directly in that job. So in the future, yeah. I, I didn't have that job published, but I would have there so I can go easily look at each individual language or skill set that I'm looking mm -hmm. for and there be talent right there. So I'm a big proponent that you should start with the talent that you've already acquired because you got to put in perspective, you spent money to get their info. So either by right. advertising on Indeed or sourcing through LinkedIn. And if you don't do anything with it, basically you just wasted that money in, in so many ways. So I think one of the tactical tips based on your, and this, every ATS can do this, is you can create individual jobs and plop the people in. And that's right. a place where you can start sourcing. So I have a question for you on that, Serge. Yeah. Um, because then I totally agree that that's really this similar to, to my little workaround as well. Yeah. My challenge always was, though, um, timing, yeah. right? Like this person applied to the role. Yeah. Um, and so I may not have something for them in the next, oh, what if it's like six months, right? So they're sitting in there. Yes, you can, you can, you know, reach out to them, invite them and say, hey, did you see this job was posted? But, you know, at what point does it become um, almost tacky? You know, so I think it depends on how you, um, you know, we call it in the ATS world, how did you dispose that candidate? Or did you give them regrets? Did you say, you know, like, how did you leave it with them? So that when you do come back to them, because it could be a week later, what if it's a year later? Like, like what it, 
Well, yeah. let me, so let me give think? you some sense of that. So yes. I've recently hired people that applied for us three years ago. So obviously we have to take about the privacy law. So in Canada, we don't have GDPR. So right. we don't need to delay the resumes after a year. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, even looking at the year, I don't think it's ever tacky. And I think your point of how you basically reject a candidate is critical because you still want to open that door. But no candidate is going to be pissed that you're like, call them six months after be like, you know, you weren't, um, it wasn't a right fit this time, but I have another opportunity. And I, after reviewing the notes of our interviews and I wanted to reach out to see if you're interested about applying for this role or going through the process. I don't think that's tacky at all. I think that's being a recruiter. Um, it's so, so much. Long as, so long as when you gave them regrets, right. You said, you know, is it okay to call you in the future? You know, right? Like if, if they got well, what's so, the difference, so Shelley? Most of what's the time, the candidates of... feel like they got ghosted, right? Okay. They well, never get a call back. Candidates. Exactly. Okay. So thank you, thank you. We couldn't leave that part out because yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't. So I think um, really shitty recruiters just keep moving on, right? There's yes. always more. There's always more. I only want who's active in the market. You know, they're not about developing a relationship with people. They're not yeah, about. I think, right. I think so developing. So that's what I mean, because I think the reason most of the applicant tracking system databases never get touched again is because people are fucking embarrassed about how they treated someone who gave you all their personal information, right? Like, I just submitted all my personal information to you. I have hopes and dreams. And I interviewed twice, and then you ghosted me. That's, you know, if I, if I was to hazard a guess, Serge, that's why most companies don't go back to their database. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. Uh, but this is where you should not, you should be rejecting your candidates appropriately, but that's another discussion. And then there's another discussion of how to keep these people engaged. But in mm -hmm. reality, a lot of companies are not going to keep these people engaged with talent pipelining. So I still don't think it's a bad thing to go back and take a look at those candidates. Yeah. And in reality, so it's not hard to have a conversation being like, Hey, I apologize for that. You weren't rejected uh, the last time. And, but we have an opportunity and I want to see if you yes. had an interest. How is that different from me mm -hmm. going and spending my $10,000 a year on my LinkedIn yeah. recruiter seat and reaching out to them there? Yes. Uh, we should never, we're salespeople. We should never be afraid of engaging with people that we have in the past. If they have the skill set. Why wait for them to apply through our posting? Because we might have screwed them already, or maybe they don't see it. So this is where being a recruiter is we can't be afraid. And you're 100% right. Um, that is the hesitancy. It's mm -hmm. a lot easier just to post a job on Indeed and get tons fresh. more candidates. Yes, new people. It's new fresh. People. It, so it's, do you know it's what easy. I, so can I, I really want to reinforce what you just said. Yeah. And that is you started the conversation with, I owe you an apology. Do you know, if you truly are sorry um, and say you're sorry, that is taking accountability. You know, whatever was going on in your world, maybe you had, you know, 15 open recs and three people standing at your desk, right? Like I get that, right? But the real point here that I'd like to leave for, for if, if, if you remember nothing from this episode, it's, it is that taking your, um, putting yourself in the candidate's shoes and saying you're sorry. It's like, uh, you know, one time I did have um, somebody rear end me 
Mind you, we weren't going very quickly. There was no damage to either vehicles. Uh, but we were on a downhill slope. So can I tell you this story? So just hold on. There's a really good point here. We're on a downhill slope, bumper to bumper traffic. She let her foot off the, off the brake and just bumped me. Okay. So, okay. We all got to pull over. It's bumper to bumper morning traffic. And she got out of her car and starts yelling at me that I backed into her. Seriously, we're on a, we're on a slope. She's behind me. Like, like I threw it into reverse. And do you know, and it just upset me. Now, if we replay that whole scene, she got out of her car and said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Is there any damage? Can you see how that immediately would have diffused me? And yeah. so I use that example a lot because it was one simple thing. If she had started with, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. There was no damage, right? Nobody was hurt. It was just that her car kind of rolled into mine, right? Um, but when you, so rather than, uh, so the, the whole point of the story is start with, you know, really, if that is the case, because a lot of the times it may have been, right? You just neglected to be able to get back to them and close the loop. And I apologize for that, right? Yeah, and you, you got to admit, like, yeah. yes, I, I think you're 100% right. But also let's put in perspective and I want to, like, we are going to forget to respond to some candidates. It We're happens human. all the time. Yes, Even the sure. best recruiters, yes, and it's I know. too bad, uh, mm -hmm. but it happens. And I know it's happened to me even recently that I'm like, oh, I closed that job and I forgot to reject candidates and I'm going back in that sense. Then. Yeah. But we should never be afraid to apologize and we should never be afraid to reach out to candidates that were really good fits in the past because this is where a lot of our recruitment budget is going to waste because mm -hmm. we keep spending dollars in places yeah. that we don't need to when we have tons of candidates already in our database. Mm -hmm. And your ATS is not really an excuse. There's ways to work around your ATS to be able to put them in yeah. situations that you should be calling. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad we finally brought this up, Serge, because we kind of... Um, throw a lot of daggers at ATSs without yeah. ever really saying why we think they're shit. Um, and it may not even be their fault because they're really working on an old premise of how yeah. to manage data, right? Versus um, setting it up so that we can take full advantage. So, you know, thank you. I'm really, really glad you brought this up and I'm really glad we finally yeah. get to share a little bit of a deeper um, look behind the curtain on what we mean when we say an ATS is shit. Yes. What so let's leave this us? topic on, on one point. Okay. So when it comes to external sourcing or recruiting, your first source should be candidates in your database. If you're not set up, set that up, figure Start out a way how to do it with your yeah. system. Um, then you go externally because you've got tons of candidates uh, that already know who you are. So that's yeah. like the number one job in selling anything if it's a role or selling a product mm -hmm. if they know who you are and you have a brand with them bad or good if it's bad you need to fix it but if it's good it's it's an easier sell so yeah. let's go to the next topic Joe. okay you want to okay. introduce that one Shelley? yeah do you know i um i think so many of us have just naturally moved into interviewing virtually meaning video um, and i know even going back a few months ago like even back in april and may um, started the conversation about we need to really help people no different than you know uh, earlier in 2020 when we didn't have all the 
restrictions of movement, and now we're interviewing on video, there are, so, there are some small things that people, um, if they were meeting face-to-face -face, as a recruiter, I would have prepped them for. I would have. I would have said, you know, when you arrive to our office, please let reception know yeah. um, how you should, um, you know, we're a business casual office. And so it's, and remember, it's casual Friday. So I actually had kind of a little um, preamble that I would give to people. And so I'm finding there's a, a frustration in the candidate market because they're, they're not going to decline a video interview. But what are we doing as recruiters to help them prepare for, for being on camera? Are you doing anything or is this, this may be the norm in the tech space, is it? Well, for me, there hasn't been a big difference. So I agree with you. Usually I set them up. It's actually easier, way easier in my mind to do. Uh, and, and I don't see a difference between interviewing someone face-to-face -face and, and uh, say interviewing them over Zoom or Skype or whatever the case is. Um, I feel I get the same level of interaction. And, and it's maybe just I've been like, that's all I've been doing. Because you're for, really good at it? <laughs> No, no, I'm not saying that. No, I'm just so, used to it. Like, I'm just so, like, I okay. interview candidates right now. Like, we have been interviewing candidates at my company for years like this. So right. it hasn't been a major transition. But even for myself, coming from where we interviewed everyone face to face to a company that doesn't, I haven't seen a major shift. It's actually way easier. It's like, here's the info. Here's the link you click, uh, you click on to, to access us. That's it. I work in the tech world, so mm -hmm. in reality, if they can't use a Zoom link, um, they're probably not going to be a fit for my organization. And sometimes like there is technical challenges, but in the last seven months, I can't think of one technical challenge I've had with a client getting on Zoom. I, there hasn't been one, but I've had it in other organizations that I've worked right. at where it was right. a challenge. You're to me, that's a disqualifier because we are in 2020. If you cannot use web tools, you probably are not a good fit for my company right. and I don't care what the role is. You probably will disagree with that and it's probably not the right thing, but that's how I feel. So I think you got to keep in context the job family, right? Yeah. If you are, if you have an expectation, like on a day to day, somebody who works in tech and that is how they make a living, of course, it should be a disqualifier. But what percentage of the overall workforce is that? So, you know, let's, you know, if you can kind of dial back to maybe previous roles where um, someone may or may not even use a computer in their job. Like there are thousands of people yeah. um, being employed. And like you, I mean, even going back to the 2000s, like 2005 to 2010, hired people all over the world that I never met. Everything was done over the phone yeah. and we didn't meet them face to face until they showed up on site. Yeah. Um, so yes, I think video interviewing, um, I guess where I was more going with that is for people who are less tech savvy, like what are we, what are we doing? And so, you know, recently I've been working with a number of different organizations and, and what I've seen happen is when they meet the person, when they do the in-person part, the final part, it was, I've had feedback where they say, um, wow, am I ever glad we did that? Because they were starting to disqualify the person based on how well they performed on a video interview. 
And when they met them, <clears throat> excuse me, when they met them in person, they were like, am I ever glad I did? What was the difference? What was different? So what I've seen time and time again is that individuals like candidates, you're already nervous, right? And they don't know where to look. Um, they don't take into consideration um, where, where they're looking. Now, in a face-to-face, -face, I know to look at you. I know to watch your face and your body language. But on a video, they're so distracted. And I mean, the, the, everything that's riding on this, some people have been out of work since last April. Mm -hmm. there's a lot riding on this and you can tell, like I can, I can sense when I've sat in on the video interviews, I can sense the level of stress that that candidate is feeling. But what they're projecting is they are, they seem disinterested. Their, their body language, they're not even aware of it. They, and, and the darting of eyes, do I look at you? Do I look at the camera? Um, I can't see their face. The room is so dark. Um, and, and we're not getting the, the proper vibe that we would get. Now, they met, met the person in, in real life. It was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like interviews as it was, like in, in days, like in, I'm calling it the old days now. The in-person, come to our office, drive down there, find a place to park, come to our office. That's, uh, that's gone. Well, That's isn't that way more nerve wracking than a video interview? Like I've, but we've conditioned like, people for the last certainly generation or two that, yeah. you know, here's how you prepare for an interview, you know, here's, you know, and here's what to expect. Well, the world changes and yeah, um, I know. like in reality, if you, you want to change with the world, like I, I, maybe I'm being, um, I don't know what's the right You're word. You're being but... a little snooty. Am I being a little snooty? Yeah, maybe. But I'm like, all the information is on the internet. Like, if you want to know how right. to video interview, you can figure it out. And what I've had candidates in non-technical roles in the past do is like, hey, can we like do a little test uh, to make sure my link is working for the interview with the hiring manager? And I always did it so they felt comfortable in, in that yeah. sense. So I, there's things as candidates that you can do as a recruiter um, and looking at that side of it. It's in reality, we need, we're 2020 whatever role you're in, and I know there's difference when it comes to, but if you're working in a white collar world, you better know how to use technology. So, uh, and not knowing is not an excuse. Like you, yeah. I think you need to do that research. So I, I don't have a lot of empathy in that sense. I'm like, the world is changing. Either you adapt or you're going to be yeah. in trouble. So maybe that's just me. Um, but for us recruiters, um, we should be able to use all those tools really well. And oh, we're God, not talking yeah. about oh, yeah. pre-recorded video interviews. I'm talking no, no, about no. like These Zoom, are live. Yeah, live. Skype, or whatever the case is. Yes, that's exactly so, what I'm referring to as well. So right. what's, like, what's your end point on it? Like, what's the biggest thing that uh, for recruiters they can do to make people feel more comfortable? Is it yeah, giving I, them a test run before? Is it like we are not it too so we got to be conscious of like if they're having issues with their laptop or whatever mm -hmm. um we can't fix that so what's what's your advice say for recruiters to help um these people for video interviews so i think just adopting what we have always done and that is to be considerate and gracious 
and ensure that people are set up for success as best we can. I mean, I'm not saying tell them what we're going to ask them on the interview. I'm saying make sure you ask them, do you have a stable internet connection? Yeah. Right? Like, can, do you, like, are you able to do this? Right? And I'm not talking tech because, you know, the other, um, I've, you know, just embedded it right in the whole process. And, and yet we'll get on the, the call with someone and they're using their iPhone with the Zoom link. Pardon me. I'm, are you parched a little bit there? <clears throat> Hung over from yesterday or are you... Uh... <laughs> I just haven't shut up since six o'clock this morning. I know. Um, so the um, preparation for the interview, I think we should take the same sort of level of courtesy because them, the candidate being successful is really um, our obligation. I think it's our responsibility. Well, the right candidate being successful is our obligation, I guess. Well, they um, shouldn't be in an interview if we don't think they're... Exactly. Yeah, Good point. Exactly. Good point. Yes. Um, so, so how well, about, like, be conscious of it is, is my final message. I, I agree. So uh, I think the end advice there is like help and give them as much guidance as you can. Um, and I think when it comes to the physical cues and everything, I'm so used to video interviewing to me, there's, there's no difference from a face to face to video. Um, but that's maybe just a world I've lived in the last seven months. I haven't seen a lot of face people face to face. So I'm kind of uh, a hermit. I, yeah, exactly. I'm a hermit, but I'm a safe hermit. Um, so let's just you put are. that in consideration. So, but the next thing, and this is where a lot of organizations are struggling, and I'm finding interesting that organizations are struggling exactly. with this is is virtual onboarding. Is so a lot of a lot of organizations have gone to the model of we can hire you anywhere, uh, or even if they haven't, a lot of the times you're virtually onboarding people. Um, and this is not anything new to me. I haven't like, I don't really see the difference, but I can see a lot of organizations that is a major challenge. So what's your thoughts on, and not everyone in talent acquisition does onboarding. Sometimes that falls into right. HR or whatever it cases, but let's assume a lot of us do. Um, what's your thoughts on onboarding virtually? So I think it must be a pretty significant challenge if you are changing your model. In other words, they, they weren't coming from the mindset that you're at right now. And that is, it doesn't matter where in the world somebody is. The, the virtual onboarding is, is really, it's built right into how we recruit, right? Like we know this before we even go to market. I think that the companies that are going to be challenged will be that they're changing their model and saying, you know, these are permanent remote positions and how will we support things? Because so, so let me give you an example. I think I read something, I read an article just like on the weekend where they talked about how many touch points are there and triggers are there when a new person comes on board to a company, yeah. you know, so you started counting and some companies, it was 76 touch points. I know in my past experience in the old days, which isn't that long ago, I mean, I'm not talking the 1950s, but there, there were so many triggers of who had to do something as part of getting somebody yeah. on board, on payroll. They've got, um, they're introduced to the right people. They, um, they have scheduled meetings. 
um, I know it can be done very, very well. So long as people understand, you know, again, I think if you've never worked remote and you understand that it, the ball's in your court as the new hire to keep reaching out, right? And, mm. and that you have at least one person as, you know, in, even if it was a new hire coming on board in person, you would have somebody who is your unofficial um, friend, right? Yep. Where do we find this? What's the protocol for this? Oh, can you show me again which drive this is stored on? How do I navigate this without having to go to your new leader, right? So it's really no different. I think it should be pretty easy to take that same sort of concept and do it virtually. I think it's easier virtually uh, in some ways as far as onboarding and, and reason. So I'm glad you brought up that point because I've seen that in many organizations that they have 77 steps or 74 mm -hmm. different touch points. Then when you, if you really dial it down and this is what this whole world is, a lot of the HR rules in the past, we've realized with, they were bullshit. Like we didn't need them. Like, cause like we've been Give, able to execute one? without like, it. You know, so you're right. So the 76 touch points was silly things like, um, you know, was IT notified? Check. IT was yeah. notified. Did you follow up with IT? Did, did, oh. Well, and a lot of that should be automated, right? Like anyways, right. Like this right. is a perfect. So I, I'm glad that this is happening because it's actually giving companies the chance to assess and evaluate what actually is needed and what actually is is pushing the needle. Um, so if you look at it, it should be easier. And I've seen, and this is where the frustration point when it comes to onboarding, because onboarding is so critical. And sometimes it doesn't fall in the world of recruitment, but it always should have some line of sight because you can find the best person and they come in on their first day and they're sitting at their desk by themselves. Or the most sad, like the saddest thing, and I saw this and it drove me as a recruiter, I see the person in the lunchroom at noon on their first day eating lunch by themselves. Oh, heartbreaking, like what type of experience it is. So going back to what you need to do when it comes to, so you have to put in consideration if they're gonna be working um, at home that you need a way to ship them their equipment. Um, so that is critical. Yeah. You have to have the ability for them to start with actual equipment or if there's another arrangement. So that is the most important. But it, to your point, it doesn't change any. You should always have a buddy assigned to you that you can go for any questions. Their, their job not is your to boss. make you feel comfortable. That's not your boss, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Then you should have meetings scheduled on mm -hmm. Zoom or whatever the case is, similar to what your onboarding process would be at uh, at the office. So in reality, it shouldn't change that much. Like the major item that, that you should have is make sure they have the equipment, but the rest, they like can streamline it, but it, it doesn't have to change that dramatically. I, I don't see why a virtual onboarding is that major a challenge because in reality, uh, it's easier to get people to, they're already working from home to book that meeting uh, with the manager or depending on the role with the department that you're going to be working with, like it should be easier is my initial, but maybe I'm too naive to it. And uh, mm. I, I just don't see why organizations are having mm. such a challenge with it. Well, so, you know, I talked to somebody recently who changed jobs, like still working in the same organization, but yeah. changed jobs just in September. And so she was talking to me about, how frustrating it was not being in person because so much of 
they're learning is what they, um, I, I hope I don't use the wrong term here. So crucify me if I do tribal knowledge, meaning I knew that if I needed help on these three things, I could just like jump up and head over to somebody and ask them. Now you have to like, it's just adjusting to the fact that you now can ask those questions in a, in a chat line. The difference is the, you know, her sense was, well, now they've got, you know, it's almost like they've got a running tally of how many questions I have. And so if you've got a really great corporate culture, that's the foundation of your onboarding is what are the commonly asked questions. So it's brilliant in, on one hand, but from her perspective, it was like, I'm being judged for what perhaps they thought I should know, but I don't. So, yeah, well, so if you ask the questions so, face to face or over say Slack or Microsoft Teams, it's not really a difference. And that is like very much based on the culture because like you is. want a culture that people are asking questions and not making assumptions. Uh, that, that to me, it's a bad culture if you're afraid to ask right. a question. That's, so, that's not a great culture at all. When we talk about virtual onboarding, although it's now easier, I think if you're working for a shitty company to begin with, it's not yeah. going to matter. <laughs> like it's, no. it's not going to cure a culture of suspicion and it's not going to cure the fact that people will walk in and within three days go, oh my God, have I made a mistake? Like, get me the fuck out of here. Well, I'm going back. <laughs> you know? Technology does two things is if you have a good process and a good way, it actually improves it. But if it's the opposite and it's bad, it actually makes it way worse. The experience gets worse in that sense. And like, I, I'm still seeing, like, it still blows my mind of like, I'm looking at, we're in Calgary, Alberta and oil and gas downtown. Everyone or the great majority are working full time. So they're driving to their office, can't go out of their office. They're closing the door and they're on Zoom or Microsoft team calls the whole day. I'm like, I know How does that makes sense to employee engagement. A lot of it is because, Hey, we have these office towers we're paying for. So we need to justify it. But in reality is yeah. like, mm -hmm. you're going to have some challenges in the future because your competition. And when I say competition, I don't mean the other oil and gas company. I mean, that talent tech thief. company that, uh, watch out. Will's coming for you. The talent thief. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, you're you're going to be in trouble of keeping that people in your organization so to go back virtual onboarding can be uh can be a challenge but i think if you take a look at the process you have right now eliminate some steps that are no longer needed and make the other ones virtual it, it actually should be a really good experience and if your culture is open to those questions because I know for me, it's a lot easier to get a question answered on Slack on something that I don't know than it is, um, than it is, oh, my beeping on, I must have another meeting coming up, Shelly, so. That's okay, Serge. That's okay. Um, I know you're in hot demand. Everybody. I am in hot demand. Yes. So putting that in perspective, <laughs> you're virtual, you're like the world we're in is, uh, so the first thing we talked about was looking at your database before yep. you start uh, recruiting externally. If you have more questions on how that can be done, any listeners do message me on yeah. LinkedIn or whatever. Uh, love to give you some examples on that because I think that's something we need to do better when it comes to virtual interviewing. Yes, I agree with you, Shelly. Give them as much help yeah. as you can, uh, but also 
my point is like there is we are in 2020 we are there's plenty of time to figure out how it works so for candidates there needs to be accountability on their end Mm -hmm. then virtual onboarding um i think it's a good time to look at your whole onboarding process eliminating steps that you don't need but looking at ways that you can gauge people and like that it could be zoom calls it could be leveraging your slack or microsoft teams that you're using internally um, any other suggestions there on virtual onboarding? So, so let's, let's um, conclude by saying the virtual onboarding. I think if you start to really examine why you're doing things, like if you need 76 touch points, virtual onboarding is the perfect opportunity uh, because you can never tell me that cost is a barrier. Yes. Do you know? Like you can't. Whereas before, you know, it, well, it's, it'd be just too expensive to give everybody swag. But you know what? You're not counting how much it costs to get um, IT to set this up, to put them on payroll. The fact is we can now do it electronically and we're actually probably more cost effective. So, you know, I think if somebody's listening to this and saying, well, my company would never go for, for that, right? Like, because it's too expensive, I would say... I think if you examine your process, you can actually do it for less. Yeah. And well, and what are your options too? Like, it's yeah. not like, <laughs> like if so your hard. office is not open, what are you going to do? Like just not hire anyone anymore. So um, that's not how business works. So yeah. I think a lot of people have figured it out. Um, so kudos to a lot of you, but I think there's a lot of organizations who are still challenges with, if they're not in the office, they're not working and then they're not hiring because it's too hard to hire someone on like virtually, which it's not like, it's actually easier in a lot of ways. So Mm -hmm. fantastic. What do you have anything on the go for you? Anything you want to promote or um, talk about? Yes. Search. Um, I'm uh, launching a, a really cool campaign, marketing campaign. Um, for my company, Higher Value. And uh, keep your eye out for it. I've got animated videos. I've got a whole storyboard. Um, I think you're going to like it. So keep yeah. check out my website because it, it will follow you. Um, and you will start to see some really cool little animated ads following you around. So you're going to be doing retargeting. So make sure yes. that everyone uh, turn off your um, location. <laughs> Uh, so Surge. you're not getting spammed by Shelly. Um, Stop it. I'm not spamming anybody. I know, I know. I'm, I'm what do you got going on, Serge? Tell me what you got going on. I have too much going on. Uh, in the I sense, mean, coming so, up. so I have nothing to promote. And okay. I am actively right now just focusing on my day-to-day job and, and my kids. So I'm not doing a lot of events or anything outside of this. And that's on purpose. Okay. Um, September so, was busy, man. Yeah. I need a September vacation. was crazy busy. <laughs> October, there's so many parties. Uh, so nothing exciting except I'm looking forward to this quarter for uh, spending a lot of time with my girls. And yeah. uh, aside from that, um, again, if there's anything I I can help with, don't hesitate to reach out to me and Shelly. Okay. But great. Thank you for listening. Have a great thank week. you. You too. Talk soon. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? 
On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.